Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. to episode 48 of Smart Enough to Know Better. 48? A podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. Yeah. Uh-huh. Heavens above. And 48 is the smallest positive integer that has exactly 10 divisors. There you go. 10 divisors. Yes. So 10 factors? No, 10 divisors. What's ten a divisor? Things that can divide into it um, fully. So... Things like, you know, well, one is so one. So one. Yes. Two. Yes. Three. Yes. Four. Yes. Six. Yes. Twelve. Uh, you missed one. Eight. Yes. Twelve. Yes. Oh, mum, 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 mum. Wait, hang on. Sixteen. Yes. And twenty-four. Yes, and? Forty-eight. Yay! <laughs> well done. Ten divisors. It's the smallest positive integer. It would be abundant as well, then. It's abundant. An abundant Ooh. number. It's an abundant... It does seem quite abundant. I was its like, factors add up to more than its total. Oh, there you go. That would be quite common at this point on. But 48, I mean, any time I see it uh, at the start of the program and it's uh, even numbers, yeah. uh, then I go, oh, you know it's going to be pretty boring. Because only when you start getting odd numbers and primes and things like that, it starts going interesting to me. <sighs> even numbers, boring. You know what number fascinates me? What's that? The number 62... Colon 48. <laughs> 62 colon 48? Yes. Is it, is, it's a time. Is it time? Yes. 62 hours and 48 minutes. Uh-huh. What was that? That's how many hours of podcast we've done. Really? Yes. That's, wow. So if everyone went and listened to And all it's going podcast. up uh, every minute. There's another one <laughs> adding on to it. <laughs> so we've done 62 hours and 48 62 minutes. 62 hours. That's like two and a half days Just of us content. Talking. Us talking. And that's what, what made it into the podcast. Yeah. Imagine what everything has been cut away. Oh, God. Flinched. 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 No, we, we did. I mean, we, we, we work. We probably both put in six times as much. Oh, easily. What are we doing? <laughs> Easily. You better be enjoying this, audience. Like, that's like 360 hours of each. our lives. That's right. Each. That's each. I know. So I that's hope weeks I, I hope of I'm my life. <laughs> that we love doing for our audience. Dan, Dan, say it. <laughs> we love doing for our audience. Say it, Dan. Say the words. Let go. You're hurting me. No, make it sound like you mean it. Uh, we've got a survey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes, we do. If you haven't filled it out yet. Go, go to the website and fill it out. It's very useful. We are getting a lot it's of It's very answers. exciting when you first put up the survey because one of the questions is, do you listen to the podcast as soon as it's released? And all the people who listen to the podcast oh. as soon as it's released jump onto the survey and do that. That's so right. it's only weeks later where the people start going, no, I, don't li- I hardly ever listen to it at all, where they catch up. <laughs> and break your heart. Yeah, yeah. We still love you too, late listeners. We think you're awesome too. Hello from the future. No, we've heard in the past. Hello from the past. Hello to the future. Look out, dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, they don't have feathers at all. Yes, they do, Dan. No, don't they don't. Stop. It's a warm climate. They don't have feathers. <laughs> So we went to see Man of Steel, you and I, together. It was yeah. a date. It was a bit of a date. It was nice. Yep. And uh, we decided, let's go see Man of Steel together. And it, it was okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's, it was all right. It was, it, was, it was a movie. It had Superman in it. It had battles in it. It had, it had stuff. Cool cool visual effects. Cool camera work. Cool cinematography. Oh, I, once again, it had that horrible shaky cam thing. Not too much of it. No, 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 it didn't. It yeah. had a different thing. It had sort of a micro... 
it had that sort of a zoom thing. It had that Battlestar really Galactica liked. thing of suddenly a camera. What happens if a camera was in space? Kal El ship turns up, and they go, and it kind of zooms in really fast, as if it was a documentary guy. Looking yeah, at I really liked that. Oh, I thought that was really effective. I just want one day a movie. I've never seen it before. Oh, well, Battlestar Galactica, the whole TV series is the whole thing all the way through. But no, I don't remember that. That's exactly what they Mind did. Mind you, I was only five. No, not that Battlestar Galactica, the latest one. I only remember one of them. <laughs> I see. But it, it was a good movie. Go see it if you like. I mean, it's more of a, a sci-fi disaster movie than a Superman movie. Yeah. Really? And I, re- I read an enormous diatribe today by someone who claims to be the Hulk. Oh, right. Reviewing the film. Oh, nice. Like 20,000 words. Yes. That's a lot of reading to that's, do. That's perhaps crazy, yes. Yeah, and he made some very good points about how none of the characters really wanted anything and there's, it's a yeah. terrible, it's a terribly made story, mm, mm. but it's a nice film to watch. Yeah, I thought it was fine. But why I'm bringing it up is everyone knows, that super, except in this movie, uh, most times Superman gets around as Clark Kent with a pair of glasses yeah. and maybe a hypnotic tie. Uh, actually, that was the tick, sorry. But the hypnotic tie is the tick and, and his rhinestone yes. bag. But you know what I'm saying? The glasses definitely Clark Kent wears. And no one seems to realise he's a big unit. Like, he's a big fella pretending to be a journalist. Well, he's a journalist. Hanging everyone's like, you don't look anything like Superman except you look exactly like Superman. Or he hunches his shoulders, supposedly. When you're six and a half feet tall, if you hunch, you're just six and a half feet minus two. You're not that much. Yeah. You'd be going, but some guys worked out that maybe... All the people around Superman have a disease called prosopagnosia, which is face blindness. Oh. So they can't they can't tell. So Lois and Perry White and everyone, they all have this face blindness, prosopagnosia, and therefore it's a neurological condition, and therefore Superman's surrounding themselves with people who can't actually see his face. They have to base it on his gait, and they have to base it on the fact he slouches. See, Superman doesn't slouch, can't be the same guy. Superman doesn't wear glasses, can't be the same guy. That would make it hard to do their job as journalists. Well, maybe. That's true. The Daily Planet, it, no, I suppose it's pretty good. But what's even scarier is this actually can happen from damage being done to the brain, lesions on the brain. Ah. And so what they're saying is maybe Superman goes into your bedroom at night and uses heat vision to blast lesions into your brain to make sure you don't recognise his face. Ah. Come on, Superman. Lift your game. That's what I have to say. I actually know the uh, the, the, the official canon reason for why they don't recognize him as superman why with the that? glasses why is that because superman has a uh, a hypnotic ability what? which is intensified by the glasses and he actually hypnotizes them into not recognizing his wait like, he if he gets his um, super hypnotism yeah, if he gets a picture of someone to draw him, yes. they draw him much thinner and... and, and oh, as Clark Kent, you mean? Yeah, as, right. to draw him as Clark Kent, they see Where him as... Where did you see this? It was in one of the comics. It was, was in it? a Superman comic from the uh, 80s. Oh, okay. They do keep changing. The one I heard recently, which I thought was even more hilarious, was his mother, his adopted mother, when she gave him the glasses, she actually gets a slightly foggy crystally glass because Superman's eyes are an unearthly blue supposedly like no one on earth has Superman blue eyes they're just crazily blue he's like a Dol- Dothraki yes <laughs> uh, no hang on Dothraki why are they blue eyes yeah Dothraki Dothraki no, maybe it was the. You, you, was he no, thinking no, of no, the? You, you're trying to think of Dune again. Why are you talking about the Freeman from the Fremen? Sorry, no, the Fremen no, 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 no. The, the ones they blue from eyes. 
the ones from what's it called? Da- Daenerys Stormborn. Yeah, that's I... that's that's the yeah. They yeah. blue, blue eyes. Yeah, they got purple ones in the book apparently. Oh, there you go. But anyway, Superman's eyes are so blue, you just go, "Holy crap, that's blue!" and unearthly blue. So his mum gives him these glasses, his cut quartz crystal glasses, or something, and it actually dulls the blue down to like a grey. So Clark Kent has grey eyes or grey blue. Where Superman is like blue. And, and you go, that still won't make people. You won't go, wait, that's not Dan. His eyes are the wrong shade of blue. I'd go, that's Dan in his underwear in my room, firing laser beams into my head. There is a really excellent write-up, scientific write-up about Superman and about, because he's got a whole bunch of different powers. Mm. He can fly and he can punch the shit out of stuff and he can lift buildings <laughs> up by the corner yep. and he can like electrify, mm. like burn things with his eyes. Mm. And there's a really wonderful thing. I'll link to it in the notes. Mm. A really wonderful thing where someone has taken all these powers and gone, uh, they're read all, that. Yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. one power. Yes. The ability to manipulate gravity. Yeah. I, I believe it is. Yeah, and, and basically some sort of field. Because if you can lift up a building by the corner without it collapsing, you must be yeah. supporting the rest of the building. If you lift a battleship by its spine, that battleship doesn't survive. No. It breaks in half. Or it just slides over you like you're a big... Superman-shaped nail. Yeah, that's as he can't. And so, yeah, he must be holding up the whole thing. If you read the Astro City comics, they're brilliant comics, and in their their version of Superman called the Statesman, it's exactly what he has. He has the, he calls Empyrean Web. I think it is. His powers come from the Empyrean Web. So when he grabs something, all this energy field drops around it, and he's super powerful. And he can't be hurt because there's webs around him. So someone's sort of taking it to the extreme. Read Astro City. Yeah. It's an awesome comic. But and, and, and read this other thing too. It's and brilliant. That, and a really good demonstration of that, I realised, is in this first Superman film where he's flying with Margot Kidder and he, he's just touching her on the fingertip yeah. and she can, she's hovering in the air, she is, but yes. then it slips and boom, he, the connection's lost Down and the field goes. is destroyed and she plummets to earth and I... I don't remember. I think she's smeared across a pavement. I think she dies. I think she dies. Instantly. Yeah, Superman doesn't really care. Spoilers. <laughs> um, the, the other one I, w- I wanted to say, Easter egg I loved in the Superman movie was when Superman first learns to fly, he's, he's like Man of Steel movie, sorry. He leaps into the air. Spoilers. He does these big jumps. He does big jumps. He's doing big jumps. He's learning his powers. Yeah. He has to learn his powers. It's an origin goddamn story. It's fine. And he learns to fly. Finally, like, I fly! And he takes off. And in the background, you get this... Noise, wind noise, and it's actually the noise from the George George Reeves Superman when he flew all the time. It's that noise they've actually laid it in. I was so that's from the nineteen fifties, sixties. It's crazy that they've used that sound effect for Superman flying, and I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. That is quite cute. It made me made me very happy. Uh, and someone pointed out to us about that in that old Superman TV series. Superman was had no problem with guns, but he didn't like things being thrown at him. Because the actor, of course, if you fight a blanket, the actor, bang, bang, it just makes a noise. But when you throw the gun at him, that actually hurts the actor, George Reeves, so he'd just step out of the way. So Superman would stand there and have guns fired until the cows came home, but someone pick up a chair. Superman always dodges the chair, even though technically a chair oh, is yeah. less damaged than a bullet, but not to the actor, George Reeves. He would go, oh, chair, I'm out of here. <laughs> so Superman was okay with supersonic things, but slow thing, well, that's a bit scary. Yeah. And also he liked drinking, which is very sad too. Or George Reeves. <sighs> he didn't have a super kidney. No, 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 he didn't. Or else he was drinking kryptonite. Oh, that's what it was. Mm. I'm going to have a kryptonite cap. Uh, uh... Speaking of things made up, yeah, we have an interview with a person who makes things up. Well, that's not very scientific. Well, well hopefully it will be. All right. Give that a shot. 
We're very excited today to be talking to a game designer here on Smart Enough to Know Better. Please put your hands together for Mr. David Galliel from Elbowfish. Everyone, woo! I, I can't. I'm holding the microphone in my hand. Oh, he's clapping himself. That's even better. All the way from Portland, Oregon, in the United States of America. Good morning, David. It is morning, in fact. 5 a.m. 5 a.m. And that means we owe you a lot for talking to us today. It's only... Oh, well, that's fine. Good evening to you. Yay! It's... it's... Yeah. 10 p.m. here on this round ball here in, in nighttime Australia. You've been celebrating with fireworks in your country recently, haven't you? Well, they're actually going to be doing that later today, although the fireworks usually start a day or two before. Ah, uh, right. impatient. That's for the Independence Day, as you, as you, you threw off the cruel yoke of your British oppressors. Exactly. <laughs> we never did in Australia. We still kind of like him, I think. That's our, she's still technically <laughs> our queen. There you go. Well, we're waiting until we're allowed to use fireworks. Yes. yeah. We're not, in Queensland, we're not allowed to have where we are, the state we are. We're not allowed to use fireworks. So, uh, you know, um, we, we can't hardly fight them. We don't have guns. We haven't got fireworks. <sighs> and I'm certainly not throwing away my tea. No, that's true. <laughs> that's not Boston tea. That's expensive. Anyway, David, why we... <laughs> Now, Dan and I will happily talk over everyone. We just like talking to each other. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but, David, you've created the game. Just actually give some background. I, I use Kickstarter, and, and I, saw, I just saw the thing. It leapt out at me, and it just said, Antimatter Matters, a game about quantum physics. And I went, oh, that's interesting. Went to pass over it. But then I saw in brackets it was written, no, really. And I went, hmm. <laughs> I'm now intrigued. I thought he was being silly, but he knows what I'm thinking. So what is Antimatter Matters and wh why? <laughs> What's it about? Antimatter Matters is a board game about quantum physics. The goal is not to teach you quantum physics because as any reputable quantum physicist will tell you, Nobody understands quantum physics, least of all the quantum physicists. <laughs> ah. And if you think it's easy to say physicist repeatedly at 5 a.m., I uh, have <laughs> news for you. It isn't. <laughs> but, well, let me tell you a little bit about Elbowfish first, which is uh, the game studio. It actually was co-founded by my daughter and myself. We're equal co-founders in the company, and she's actually the lead game designer. I'm more of the useless suit. Um, <laughs> the money man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the CEO and producer, and she's the creative director and lead designer. We we work together as designers. I was in the game industry and the video game side umpteen years ago at the very dawn of creation. What 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 <laughs> video uh, games have you made that we would recognize? None. Oh, that one. I've played that's, that. That's a fantastic game. <laughs> it's the religious themed shoot 'em up. None. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was involved with one of the very first massively multiplayer online games. In fact, it predates pretty much anything you've ever heard of. It was called Terra, and I was the executive producer um, back in the day. It was uh, something like 17 years ago, so it was a long time ago. Bless your heart, you and, were young uh, people. That's very nice of you. <laughs> yes, and my daughter much more recently graduated from Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD, which is a great art school here in the U.S., and she was the graduate of the first class of a game design major there. 
which and was, was she responsible for all the, the artwork in the game? No, actually, the artwork is a local artist also from the Portland area by the name of Thomas Conrad Rigby. He appears in the video on the Kickstarter. It is Each absolutely one of inks, beautiful, that artwork. Mm, I love it. It really yeah, is. That's a hallmark of what we do. Each one of our games will feature a different local artist. Uh, Thomas is a very gifted artist. And really what Elbowfish is about, it's about marrying entertainment education and art together mm. Uh, mm. not in a take your medicine kind of education way <laughs> the way i like to describe it is it's more like uh, if a chef created a gourmet meal for you and it just happened to be made of nutritious ingredients right. so mm. first the first priority for us is to create an enjoyable game and to have really good solid design we figure if you're going to make a good game you might as well make it about something something that will make you think mm. And that's where, in this case, the quantum physics came in. I have to ask uh, a question. Can you just lead me through? So you just say where you were and how it happened that one day you were sitting together with your with your designer and went, oh, I know, quantum physics. That would be an awesome board game because I don't think anyone else has ever. I can't tell you because I'm I'm uncertain about the origins. Oh, that was a little... That was that, was that a quantum that, physics joke? That was a really, a really weak 5 a.m. quantum physics joke. <laughs> I, was, I still I, respect that. <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you that when... <laughs> I've been tweeting continuously for the past 25 days, and uh, at a certain point, I started looking for good quantum physics jokes online, mm, mm. and um, there aren't any. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some. No, no, that was, that was that's another <laughs> bad really one. <laughs> um, so, so the way this happened was it, it was uh, really a series of coincidences. So first of all, I've been really interested in quantum physics for years now. I'm self-taught. I'm the son of two college professors, but I have no college degree. I'm a, oh. I used to be a professional musician, actually, a jazz musician. <laughs> and Wow. But I've always been really interested in quantum physics, and I've been reading a lot about it for the past few years. Mm -hmm. And as my daughter Liana and I were figuring out what we wanted to be our first game, a colleague of ours, another designer, introduced us to a physics teacher locally who, who had developed this little game for his students and uh, young middle school students. And he was really interested in seeing whether it had the potential to become a, a more highly developed and a game that would appeal to a broader market. Mm. And two things became apparent immediately. One is there was the foundation for a really good game there. Liana immediately saw that there was great design potential there in mm. terms of game design. And I really got excited about the topic, and it fit right in with our mission, mm, which yeah. is to, to create these games that have real Accidentally educate people. <laughs> yeah, but that are created at, at a very high level. Mm. So one of the biggest problems with educational games, particularly board games, is that they're usually awful. Yeah. <laughs> and they're awful. And they're awful because the educators creating them are very well-intentioned, but they don't have the money to hire professional designers. Mm -hmm. And if they're made on the uh, commercial game industry side, then typically they shortchange the educational part. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's a little bit like in the early days of financial investment that there used to be a belief that you, you shouldn't muddy your investments with anything like social responsibility or <laughs> mental, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, yeah. And over time, people discovered that actually you can do that and still make a profit. So 
Mm-hmm. You know, the same thing applies in the game industry is a lot of games are designed without really much thought of, of an educational message or any underlying theme because of this belief that you have to just purely design and focus on the game design. And, and our belief is that educational games can be as compelling and as interesting and as um, um, 5 a.m. adjective as um, – that's that's how that all came about Mm. and then we because we really want to help develop a game industry here in portland we set out to find a local artist to work with and thomas was the right one for for the job and we've been we worked on it for nine months we developed the game and we do constant play testing we're play testing two times a week here in the local community this is what you referred to as your emergency zombie shelter on your page. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to be. I'm glad you have a zombie plan. It makes me feel that, that I'm a, you're a man I can trust. Well, everyone in Portland has a zombie plan. <laughs> I have to move to that city immediately. <laughs> no, no, there's a reason they have a zombie oh, plan. Oh, wait, hang on. You have a lot of zombies there? I have to move to that city so I can somehow, so I can work out how to escape that city. <laughs> But David sounds like he'll know what's going on there. So that's now when I looked at the, the design of it, the, the visual design, the art design, it, I kept getting this almost Star Trek Next Generation feel from it. The computers in that, that sort of rounded edge and, and big colorful graphics. Is that something that Thomas was using as an inspiration? inspiration? Do, do you know? Well, actually, we're going for more of a Renaissance look. Oh. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, that explains that explains all the fat cherub children. I should have guessed. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly what what he was going for. Oh, I, uh, one phew. of the things that uh, really Im- impressed us is um, we're a little strange in the way that we approach artists. We, we give them just a kind of broad overview of what a game's about, and then we say, you know, go home and sketch some stuff, and come back and show us what you have. Hmm. Instead of coming back with a few pencil sketches. He came back with this whole concept of this futuristic user interface. <laughs> That's exactly kind of what you suggest. And he, he had everything really developed to a, to a pretty high level. And you thought to and, yourself, he's a keeper. That's it. I, this is the guy. Yeah. And we've, we've worked over the nine months. The concept has evolved really organically. One of the things that we try to do that we are committed to doing is to make our games as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. So... We, we work to make sure that we use what's called double coding in design. So, for example, if someone is colorblind and oh, you that's see the difference between two things is one is green and one is blue, mm-hmm. that's going to be a problem. Yep. But if you have one green and one blue and they're also a different letter and a different shape and a different size if they're a physical object, that's what's double coding or multiple coding. So we try and make everything as accessible as possible. And we worked with Thomas on doing grayscale tests where you print everything out in grayscale and make sure that you can still see what's what. That's so he's cool. very, very good at that kind of thing. And we work very well together. As a colorblind person, I just I say thank you very much for that because you have no idea the frustrations I have in computer games and board games all the time. You should watch him play Twister. It's just tragic. <laughs> I'm always sticking my left hand in someone else's... Oh, it's horribly wrong. It's terrible. Normally the police are called. It's a shocking thing. 
<laughs> now, hang, before we move on, I just suddenly realised, being a terrible interviewer, we've said the game's about quantum mechanics, but and, and half the audience probably went, oh my god, what? What is the game actually about? What do you do in the game? The game is about constructing a stable atom. Cool. Uh, Lofty goals. <laughs> that, that's, that's A-T-O-M, not A-D-A-M. <laughs> All right. That's a whole different game. <laughs> that's, that, would, that would just be playing Operation Backwards. Well, that would, that would just be... The Eve rib. Moving on. <laughs> so, so you have to make it so, atom. So the, you have pieces that represent elementary particles. Quarks, up quarks and down quarks. Mm-hmm. Gluons, photons, oh, and electrons. I'm so excited. And um, <laughs> which are which are basically what everything is made out of. There's a the whole particle zoo that is created in particle accelerators like the Large Hadron Collider. But those are particles that require enormous amounts of energy to create, and most of them haven't been around since the Big Bang. They last for a flash, an instant, mm, mm. in the collider and go away. All of matter is really created from just a handful of particles. Mm. So we, we have uh, individual pieces in the game that represent those particles, and your goal is to create a stable atom. We have a lot of different varieties. One of the unique things about antimatter matters is that not only does it have a standard and challenge mode, but it also can be played in traditional competitive mode, player versus player. It can be played in team mode, and it can be played in cooperative mode, where everyone together is working to try and create the largest stable atom they can. Now, can I ask a question? Do you have a Higgs boson in this game? We do not have a Higgs boson. In an expansion, hopefully? The Higgs boson expansion? Well, maybe. There may be more than one. We don't know yet. <laughs> I hope so. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> All mass comes from this thing. It'd be brilliant. I'd, that, I'd be so excited. The, the piece is really, really small and impossible to find in the box. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's a very big box. It's, it's a very it's big here, box. It's here somewhere, or is it? So the box arrives. It's the, it, it actually extends from one country into a neighboring country. <laughs> and yeah. you have one atom in there somewhere. Rolling a marble in there somewhere. That's okay. So you have to make a stable. Well, well, Atom. Our Excellent. original design actually was to ship a dead cat in the box, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to call it Schrodinger's, but we ran into customs problems for that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. That'd be a really fun thing is occasionally when you ship it, occasionally put a toy cat in some and a no toy cats in the other and just see if anyone works out what the heck you're doing. Yeah. That'd be, huh? I, huh? See? I, uh, that's you, a promise. You can, you can take that to the bank. But you will have you something called a wooden bank. meeple. Wooden, what, what in God's name is a wooden meeple? A wooden meatball? Me, meeple. <laughs> meeple. M-E-E-P-L-E. Oh. <laughs> it's the Aussie accent. Meeple. Sorry about that. Uh. Not meatball. Meeple. It's obviously different. Meeple. Meatball. A wooden meep, meeple. There you go. There you go. What was that? Was that meant to be a Portland accent? No, no, no. It's a bit more, it's a bit more southern. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a terrible southern a accent. <laughs> a meeple is a player pawn that's... Made of wood and it's shaped in the outline of a of a human being. Ah, so it's your it's, so, it's, so, it's, so it's like the monopoly, ours monopoly thimble or something like that. Yeah, ours are actually going to be cut out in the shape of a scientist, and they're going to have a, a lab coat with a slide wheel or something in the pocket, <laughs> something cute. So, and are they into, are you going to have like a guy in a wheelchair for be like Stephen Hawking's or is that just not cool? Well, actually, we, we are not doing that for the meeples. The meeples are, are, are going to be different colors corresponding to the player pawns for different players. But 
we we are actually we just announced a few hours ago that we're every game is going to include six extra cards mm-hmm. that are like sports cards but for scientists and we're having the kickstarter backers nominate quantum physicists that they'd like to be featured on these cards and we we want Feynman. to that's what i have to say we Feynman. To, <laughs> yes we really want to to um showcase young physicists working today oh, contemporary right. not Feynman. <laughs> Um, either experimental or theoretical is fine, mm-hmm. and uh, we want to have a, you know an international uh, team of uh, quantum physics superstars on these cards. And Thomas, the artist, is going to uh, draw a caricature of each one, and we'll have fun little stats and, and uh, facts about them. That's fantastic! I love that idea. Why don't say yeah. little, little sexy um, tradable cards? Like, which ones have you got? Oh, I've got Doctor Blah Blah. Oh, I'm so jealous. That's brilliant. Exactly. Oh, exactly. That, the, the thing, because the scientists, I on this podcast, I make this lament often, which is your sports stars and actors, and they deserve money. That's fine. I'm not taking away from the arts at all. But scientists do quite a bit too. <laughs> you may have noticed. So it's kind of nice the idea that that maybe we can promote scientists in a, in a sexy, tradable way. Exactly. The whole idea of this is to show that. Science can be fun, and that quantum physics is not really as intimidating as it seems. Or, I should say, it's equally intimidating to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Now, let's get into the quantum physics side of things. So you said you're not a quantum physicist yourself. You're 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 an interested layman, like myself. And yes. so how, how the heck do you make sure that it's, that it's, you're saying the right things? Like, do, you, do you have people check it or is it lots of research? How do you do that? Well, that's a really good question. How do you do that? <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you throwing it back to me? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I did do a lot of research. Uh, Scott Eisler, the physics teacher who brought the game to us in the first place, provided kind of a first check on things. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, we've done a lot of playtesting, and some of the playtesting has been with actual physicists. Mm. Oh, um, wow. And gotten feedback from those folks. And then we recently published the full text of all of our cards online and asked people to uh, give us feedback on that. And I was very pleased. To, if I'm going to give myself a pat on the back now. <laughs> I was very pleased that not a single significant error was found in the in the cards every card i should i should mention has three parts it has the little story message from the game and then there's the play instructions you know to move or to act or whatever the uh, gameplay is and then on the bottom there's a little physics fact Hmm. so so the physics fact be all really accurate Mm. We did make a few changes. For example, we have some unusual things that happen in this board game. There's a quantum tunnel. There's two sets of quantum tunnels, actually, Ooh. that reproduce the effect of quantum tunneling. Mm-hmm. And we originally called them wormholes because that sounded really cool. <laughs> and a, a pedantic and not fun at all quantum physicist said, boo-hoo, those are theoretical things, and they're much too big, and they wouldn't fit on the board, and so... <laughs> Okay. So 
we're trying to be true to the science, but be fun at the same time. Exactly right. No, that's oh, I'm I'm very excited. So where do you hope to take this? I mean, once once all the people flock to it and, and give you all the money, like how long will it take to put it together and get it out into people's hands? So we funded all of the development, design, and testing of the game. Mm. And the purpose of the Kickstarter is to raise money for the manufacturing, shipping, and then the fulfillment of getting the rewards out to people. So the, the biggest reward, of course, is the game. Mm. But one of the big mistakes that a lot of people do on Kickstarter is they don't account for the cost of the rewards that they provide, all the other goodies, the t-shirts and the, yeah, the, the yeah. art pieces. And and uh, and it's a very tricky thing to try and figure out because you don't know exactly how many you'll have at every level. It's a little bit like you know figuring out how much fuel you need to send up a rocket ship because the more fuel you add, the more weight you add. And ah, it, yes. it, it's that kind of thing. But we did our homework and we accounted for all that in there. And we're also having the game manufactured by a game manufacturer named uh, Panda GM who make very, very high-quality games. Uh, a lot of big hit games like Pandemic and Alien Frontiers and um, for board gamers, those are big names. They're, they're very high-quality mm, components. And so we've worked with them very carefully on timing and they've been terrific in helping us get a little ahead of the game. So the process of manufacturing a board game, you know, board games are not a business you go into to make money. <laughs> right, I see. They, one of those great ways to make a large fortune into a small fortune. <laughs> but they're a labor of love for us. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that our board games cover their costs. And then we look at play. We figure there isn't enough play in, in our lives in general. So mm -hmm. we, we look at games in the broadest possible way. We're going to be creating mobile games and augmented reality games and traditional video and console games as well as board games. You want to be able to continue to always make board games, but they're never going to be our bread and butter. So we work very carefully to make sure that we spec everything out very carefully. And so after the Kickstarter ends, hopefully successfully, we go directly into pre-production and then into manufacturing. And we are committed to getting these games into people's hands by the holiday season, which in the U.S. means by mid-December. Mid-December, Now, right. I've got a question. I noticed that it's for 13 years and up, but in order to get it into the hands of 11-year-olds, you've got to do safety testing. Mm -hmm. And it occurs to me that there are all those different levels, but I just assumed that it was up to the manufacturers themselves to sort of just guess at a number. But it occurs to me now that there must be things that are expected of you. Yeah, the last couple of years have changed the industry tremendously. There was a, 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 a law passed in the United States designed to ensure toy safety. And unfortunately, it applied to board games as well. I say unfortunately because the costs of testing are extremely high and prohibitive for most independent game designers. Mm. As a result, many, many games now are just by default produced to be 13 and up. And actually, if you want to market them actively in the EU, they have to be 14 and up. Yeah. And we designed this game so that it's playable for uh, middle school students, 11 and up. 
surprisingly to us, our, our biggest backers and our greatest enthusiasts have been adult hardcore board gamers, hmm. um, <laughs> gamers. They seem to really, really like this game, but we, we want to make it as uh, accessible for as broad an audience as possible. Would, would it be easier if you took all the little choking hazards out and replaced them with firearms? Because I, as I understand in America, that's much easier to... Know. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. In fact, that's there, there'll be a, a miniature nuclear reactor in each... Uh, <laughs> Each box. That's um, <laughs> Hence the dead. But as cash. it turns out, a lot of teachers have told us, you know, don't worry about that. We we bring games in, good games into our classrooms, regardless of what the the recommended. <laughs> uh, Hooray for teachers! We, what it means is you can't market it to younger ages, yeah. but it you know no yeah. prohibition on someone purchasing it for for That's for right. younger people. But in any case. We're looking at creative ways for us to be able to fund the safety testing outside of Kickstarters. Uh, we've actually removed that as a stretch goal from Kickstarter because we want to be able to, uh, you know, to do other things if we if we are fortunate enough to exceed the goal and reach some stretch goals. There's other fun stuff we want to do with the game. I'm a, I'm a hardcore board gamer myself. I've been playing board games, and because of companies like yours, there's been a resurgence of these games because you guys can take more risks. It seems compared to a, a large monolithic company. That's trying to make money. That's trying to make money. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think that people like Elbowfish are leading the way in better games for uh, in, in board games? Yeah, definitely. Uh, for one thing, I don't have the worldwide figures at my fingertips, but in the U.S., the sales of board games of independent board games have been increasing by twenty five percent a year, year over year. Wow. At the same time, that video games are flat or declining. So the situation in the board game industry today really is exciting because it's a lot like what has happened in a lot of other creative industries, which is that there are a few giants, you know, the Mattels and the Hasbros, that are very mature mm -hmm. industries, producers, and they haven't really done much. And there's been this incredible outpouring of creative energy among independents it's, as it's become more cost-effective mm. to for a small independent output to be able to create these games. Mm. And as vehicles like Kickstarter have come along that allow companies like ours to pay for the manufacturing of games, it's just been an, ex an absolute explosion. And Portland is one of the centers of where that all is happening, which is why it's so much fun to be developing board games here. I mean, every day of the week, there's one bar or pub or another in, in town that is uh, hosting a, a board game night. That's fantastic. Uh, which is it's a very rainy town, so that would help, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, See, go. when it's rainy all the time, you yes. stay inside, you play board you play games. With your friends with a beer, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. So, that's David, exactly right. what board games did you play when you were young that drove you into this industry? You know what? To, to be honest, I'm not a hardcore um, <laughs> board game player. I um, Growing up, I was a huge Scrabble fan. Oh, oh that is a good one. Scrabble is good. That's right. I'm a, I'm a real nerd, I guess. Dan won't play Scrabble with me anymore. <laughs> he won't play because I use words he doesn't know. He, he, he declares them not real words. It's very sad. Well, not real words. my father was a great writer and had a huge vocabulary. And so he used to, to use all these obscure words. And then every now and then he'd throw in a made-up one. <laughs> and my mother would always try to catch him at it. So she'd challenge him all the time. And she'd always challenge him when he had a legitimate word. Oh, <laughs> and then, oh damn. Every now and then he'd have a made-up one. And he'd, he'd, have, he'd have such a convincing definition for it. <laughs> that would go. 
Have you played the game Boulder Dash? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that your father would be brilliant at that game. That's he that. would. He would have been. Yeah. <laughs> My mother <laughs> played Scrabble with me when I was younger, and she would trounce me every time. And I and as a kid, yeah. you go, oh, and, and and let me win. And she, one of the very wisest things she ever said to me was, "The day you beat me is the day you've earned to beat me. You know, I'm not cheating you." And I went, and I and the day I beat her, I felt like a man. It was great. We should take anti-matter matters to her and just wipe the floor <laughs> with that bitch. <laughs> My mother, you're talking about. She's a saint. Just a very good Scrabble saint. If you could sell this game right now if you can say anything you like which you can how will you sell it what's your pitch to the smart enough to know better audience members if you breathe in and out and have a pulse <laughs> this is the game for you that's most of them actually that's, that's i think a, most of them do that's a good call <laughs> you've, you've cast a wide net there I like now, I, what we've tried to do is to create a game that th there's been a tendency in what we call over here, at least Euro games, to have each game focus on a single game mechanic mm -hmm. and push it to the limit. Game genres get very specialized that way. And what we've tried to do here is we've tried to mix and match a bunch of different popular game mechanics. So uh, one thing about quantum physics is that there's an element of random chance involved all of what we see as an orderly world is just kind of a statistical averaging out of all these weird random events mm. and so we made sure that even though the game has a lot of strategy involved that there are random elements in there Ooh. still flipping so, a coin with a live cat on one side and a dead cat well, on the other you know, <laughs> There's a horror in today's indie board game designer community of what are called roll and move games, mm. where you roll a die and then move. Like and, Monopoly. Uh, Snakes and ladders. Uh, yeah. mm. So each uh, turn in our game has four steps to it, and the very first one actually is a roll and move. Although, <laughs> although on this board you have many different different options there's strategy even into choosing which direction to move and, and which ener energy level to pop into but then there are a variety of different strategic choices that you make along the way and we have fun things happen like quantum entanglement where two players get quantum entangled and then when one of them moves their pawn or their meeple then uh, the other player's pawn moves as well mm. oh i see yeah. oh so you can take someone down with you screaming yeah. into the void Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, with the meeple meatball idea, when I play this game, when it finally arrives, I'm just going to make a meatball and put it on my game board. I've decided. Um, in the Australian version is going to get played with meatballs. Just I can't. You're the worst vegetarian ever. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the Aussie version. Just we'll, we'll, I'll send cut up nine cow hearts today. <laughs> we actually we we obviously have some localization to do. So. <laughs> To get into the Australian hands, though, that's what you have to exactly. do. Exactly. <laughs> so if you, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a person who breathes in and out or has any interest in quantum physics and likes a good board game, sit around with your friends, have a beer, have a chat and play a board game, you should look very hard at supporting the Kickstarter Elbowfish Company with Antimatter Matters. How will they find you, David? They will find me, us, <laughs> we, Elbowfish, Antimatters, by going online to elbowfish.com slash kickstarter 
There we Pretty go. Pretty easy. Pretty easy. Or you just type into Google, of course, Elbowfish Kickstarter or Antimatter Matters Kickstarter, and you'll find it straight away. And that's right. When the time this podcast comes out, you've got seven days, I think, maybe six days. Math's not my strong point at this point. <laughs> Let's say six days, and people need to support this as quick as they can because if it's not supported, it's not going to get made. Is is that right? Exactly. Yep. We need to get it out there very, very quickly. And I want this to get made because I want to pitch my idea for a science board game oh. for David afterwards. Oh, there you go. Like a brain-related one called Hungry Hungry Hippocampus. Oh, oh I like it. It's, <laughs> it's basically Hungry Hungry Hippos, it, but I just splatter blood across it. Don't, don't, don't support- well, it fits in right in with our Portland zombie theme, so... <laughs> Excellent. Don't don't um, don't humor him, David. He he he's very serious. He's very serious, man. And and you just, it's going to take a lot of. He'll just cry himself to sleep when you break his heart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> David Galliel, thank you very much. It's been fantastic talking to you. All the best with the Kickstarter. I we. I strongly encourage all smart enough to know better people to go and support this and then buy it once it comes out anyway and just to support these amazing independent games so thank you very much david thank you very much and thank you for actually pronouncing my name correctly <laughs> we try that, that's one of the biggest challenges i face so i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> that's He's good. He's very good. Yeah. And he's I, he's rosy. He's at five in the morning. He must just be a barrel of laughs in the middle of the day when he's had some sleep. Can you imagine how smiley and happy he'd be? I want to get him drunk in the early evening. <laughs> and who knows what might happen, Dan. That game sounds like fun. It really does. I was honestly captured by people saying, why are we supporting this? I don't support anything on the podcast unless I really believe in it. So we don't have to. <laughs> we have no masters but ourselves. Ah, yep. I found it on Kickstarter, and the more I looked into it, the more I enjoyed it, and the more I thought it was a good idea for a, educational purposes and, and for fun, actual fun, and it looks beautiful. Mm. Go and support it. It costs no more than a game will cost you anyway to buy in the stores. It's one. It's not going to be super yeah. expensive. So think about it, supporting it, ladies and gentlemen. Smarter Than Better has no kickback to this or any kind of money coming to us either. Not yet. <laughs> but if David wants to drop a few free copies our way, we might mention it in the other podcasts. <laughs> you never know. He become a sponsor. But look, go support it. Antimatter Matters. Look up Elbowfish Games Company in Portland, Oregon. Definitely support them. Get to them as quick as you can because, as he said, if he doesn't get the money, he can't manufacture it and it will never exist. And that would be sad. You have been listening to Dan at SmartEnough.org. You have also been listening to none other but Greg at SmartEnough.org. On Twitter, we're SE2KB. On Facebook, we're SE2KB. If you would like to make us very happy, <laughs> go to iTunes. Just, just put five stars in. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. Five stars. Just now, rate us five stars. I have had a little bit of a look at some of the Ooh. survey results so far. Oh, yes, yes. And someone, mm. I'm not going to say who because mm. I don't remember... But someone said, why do I have to listen to you going on and on about iTunes when I subscribe through an Android reader type oh. thing and I, I don't go anywhere near the Apple environment? Oh, good I'm point. giving it force down my throat. So I would like you, 
if you don't subscribe to iTunes, if you're on the Android equivalent, mm. just don't bother because no one fucking cares. Yeah, don't be like that. Oh. No one goes and looks. I don't even know where I go to find that information. Oh, but no, no, support us as much as possible. Just, no, be like, no, no, no. Stop listening. <laughs> just stop no, listening to the podcast. Don't listen to Dan. Dan's the nasty one. Take that. your Galaxy 4S or your oh, Atari 9620. <laughs> they, the Galaxy 4S is really pretty. It's a very pretty, pretty thing. Oh, you can fuck right off too. <laughs> Wow. Actually, no, it does look pretty good. It looks lovely. Now, look, just... Uh, if th- Galaxy 4S would like to uh, <laughs> support the podcast, maybe we'll be a bit more nice about it. <laughs> Goodness me. But yes, please just support us any way you can. We don't take any money from you. And we're sorry for forcing things down your throat. We never, never want to. If Once we talk about this bit, you can always just stop playing it. The only thing we want to <laughs> force down your throat is science, comedy, and ignorance. And ignorance. All you know is that two Australian angels came to you in the night and talked to you. That's all it'll be. It'll be a weird dream. Australian Angels in America. That's it. Oh, wow. That sounds like the best movie ever. (laughs) Or at least a telly movie. Yes, probably a a hallmark telly movie, to be honest. Get Sally Field. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything particularly that you want us to touch on tonight before we start? I'm sorry. I was asleep. (laughs) 